Welcome back to another episode of Win the Championship Repeat Boston Sports Podcast. And on this week's episode, we are going to be looking at the New England Patriots and Devontae Parker and looking at specifically where the Patriots go from here um, in terms of the draft and how Devontae Parker fits into this team. And we're also going to look at the Celtics and their rise to the top of the East and how they got from the middle of the pack to the top of the pack. So let's get started, let's keep moving, and let's go from there. So, yeah, Patriots made what was a pretty good move, and they added in wide receiver Devontae Parker, and it was a deal that was a fifth-round pick this year, which I think is 158 for a third-round pick next year from the Patriots. Now, for the side of the Patriots, they get a third-round pick next year from J.C. Jackson leaving, which is a compensatory pick. So getting rid of a pick that they're going to get another one anyways, it doesn't make a difference um, keeping it if you can get something like Devontae Parker. He gets hurt a lot, but when he's healthy, he's their number one. He's the best wide receiver they have. And with the issues at wide receiver, he's the one they're going to have to rely on. So getting him in is great. It's good. And it's perfect. Now, for a team like Miami, trading away Devontae Parker for a third-round pick helps them recover draft picks that they lost in the Tyree Kill deal. Um, And it helps because they have a guy who wasn't really going to play a ton based off of the fact that they have Jalen Waddell as your number one next to Tyree Kill, who is your new number one. Um, and you have other wide receivers in there. You have Mike Gusecki at tight end. So their team is built very well around wide receivers and tight ends and running backs, and there was no room for Devontae Parker in this team. And they traded away Kenny Stills, uh, and uh, he went to the Texans uh, when he was traded, and now they trade away Devontae Parker, and he goes to the Patriots, which... I think it's a good deal for both sides because the Patriots get something they need, which is a wide receiver, and I think Miami gets a draft pick that, again, they need to recoup draft picks, and they have a guy who's not really going to get as much time on the field as he was last year. So now you have a situation where it's a better overall fit for both sides. Now looking at this from the Patriots, I think this gives you a little bit of an incentive to move someone like a Nikhil Harry because now you have a wide receiver in there that you have no use for in uh, Harry. You know, if your team is Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, and now Devontae Parker, do they really need Nelson Aguilar and Nikhil Harry and Devontae Parker and all these wide receivers? Nikhil Harry is probably going to get traded on draft night, and if that's the case, great. Um, he doesn't have a ton of value, but I think to the right team, he could be a good wide receiver. And so they got to get rid of him and they got to, you know, build around Devonte Parker and whatever other wide receivers they can get in, uh, the draft and in the future. I mean, next year they're going to have a hundred million dollars to spend. They got 5 million of, uh, Devontae Parker's contract this year and 5.7 million next year. So he's, he's going to be around. So you could build your team around Hunter Henry and John Smith and Devontae Parker and whatever free agents you get next year and draft picks. Patriots now are in a good spot. I think, you know, this season has always, for me, been a loss. And the reason behind that is because they have the cap space next year and because they're competing with the Dolphins 
and with Buffalo, this is an off year. So if I was the Patriots, and I've said it before, they should just hope to get a top 10 pick. And if they can get a great tackle or a great wide receiver or someone on defense who's at the top of the draft next year, I mean, imagine getting a top-tier like wide receiver to go along with Devontae Parker and whatever other wide receivers you have because none of these wide receivers outside of Parker are long-term players. I mean, Nikhil Harry is probably going to be gone sooner rather than later. You know, Nelson Aguilar is someone who's uh, going to be a free agent next year, or could be at least. You got um, Kendrick Bourne, who's there. I think he's only got two years on his contract. Jacoby Myers is still a restricted free agent, and odds are if we draft someone, we're not going to keep uh, Myers because we're not going to want to pay him. So for the Patriots, you know, they could trade, you know, some of these pieces in next draft when they get a decent pick. They can use it on a top-tier wide receiver and have Devontae Parker and somebody else on their team, which would be great. So shifting gears to the draft, I'm going to give you my look at what the Patriots should do in the draft. And it's interesting, and I'll tell you why. So first thing the Patriots should do with the 21st pick is trade down. Now, there are a lot of teams that could have interest in trading down and trading up for the Patriots' 21st pick. And I don't really know how far they want to go down in the draft. And I think one of the things with Patriots fans is if they trade down, that's perfectly fine. But trading down and then trading down again and trading down again to acquire a ton more draft picks doesn't really make a lot of sense. And with the amount of draft picks we have, we got a good number. So trading down once and getting a few picks is fine. But that's where it should stop. So... I decided to go with a trade involving Kansas City, and I did this for a few reasons. Number one, there are a pretty decent number of tackles or top-tier wide receivers at 21 that Kansas City could add pieces to build their team. So if they feel like, let's just say, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scanling and uh, somebody like a Juju Smith-Schuster are both good wide receivers, then they could go for like an offensive tackle or some sort of you know offensive guard. Um, and if they choose to, um, they could, you know, do that. Or they could go for Jameson Williams or Chris Olaf if they're still on the board, or a defensive guy. One of the linebackers, you know, Nicobe Dean uh, or uh, Devin Lloyd could be there, and they could go for a linebacker that might not be there at 29 or 30. So I ended up trading pick 50 and pick 29 to the Patriots for pick 21. The pick 50 comes from Miami in the Tyreek Hill deal in the second round, and the Patriots basically moved down eight spots to add a 50th pick, um, which you're not going to complain. So I ended up going with 29, Kair Alam, cornerback from Florida. And my reason behind that is solely based off of the fact that there's been interests in the Patriots going after him. Patriots don't have a clear number one cornerback anymore. And bringing in someone who could potentially get to that level, uh, that's really going to help their team. And like their wide receivers, none of the other guys on the quarterback group are long-term like additions. So they can you know, cut some of the dead weight, whether it's in training camp or next year. And Alam can be part of that future at the cornerback in hopes that things work out in his favor. So 29. Pick 50, I went with Christian Harris and... Part of my reasoning behind that is the Patriots have had a lot of success with, uh, in recent years, Alabama 
players, and more so Alabama linebackers. Um, Donta Hightower was a linebacker from Alabama, and I think because he's a free agent and the fact that the Patriots now have that opening, yes, they added in Mac Wilson, who comes from Alabama, from the Cleveland Browns, but Christian Harris can be a long-term piece. And a lot of this has to do with just in the immediate future after this season cutting a lot of dead weight and money and whatnot and bringing in you know younger players and bringing in you know cheaper contracts and I think Christian Harris can be a great linebacker for the Patriots and drafting him at 50 is a good move um he probably would be there at 54 as well but I went with uh 50 pick 54 Cameron Thomas edge uh rusher from San Diego so I wanted to bolster their defense uh, and I felt like doing that with these two second round picks made the most sense. Um, starting with the uh, sort of uh, defensive side of things uh, at the beginning. And then going a little bit more on the offensive side uh, uh, later on in the draft. And so I decided to go with Cameron Thomas there as a good choice um, edge rusher. We got next pick 85, which is a uh, third round pick, but I decided to make a trade. And I don't know if uh, this is a good trade, but it is a trade that I think would work for the Patriots. So Patriots are trading up to 80, from 85 to 74 with the Falcons. And they traded Nikhil Harry and 85 to get up to 74. Now, Nikhil Harry doesn't have a ton of value, but trading up nine spots, uh, I think Nikhil Harry can get you somewhere. In that regard, it's not like he's gonna get you uh, a lot of you know value going from pick 85 to the first round or the second round at the top. But moving up nine spots, I don't see that as like a a surmountable difference. And adding in Nikhil Harry, who could you know help out a wide receiver core in Atlanta, who just lost their best wide receiver to sports gambling. Um, yeah, maybe that helps them out and. Falcons have enough uh, picks. I think they have two third-round picks anyway. So, um, yeah, this is not a bad move uh, for them. Patriots have 74, and they are going to draft John Mechie the third wide receiver from Alabama. So he was at Alabama 2019 to recent and was there with Mac Jones for uh, a little bit. And so there's a connection there. And even if John Mechie wasn't the star wide receiver at that time, he still was a wide receiver, and he still had to deal with Mac Jones, and there's a connection there, and obviously both of those guys probably want to win. And, you know, like I said before, Patriots have had success with Alabama guys because the systems are very similar. So coming in, plug-and-play, it works because Nick Saban has a similar style offense to Bill Belichick and their friends. Pick number 127 is up next, and I decided to go with Thayer Munford from Ohio State. He's a guard. So we have to upgrade on the offensive line because that was a big area of weakness, and Trent Brown is not going to do it all by himself. Isaiah Wynn can be a free agent next year, and that's money coming off the books. Hopefully Thayer Munford, as a fourth-round pick, can do much better than a first-round pick in Isaiah Wynn. Um, so taking him here is a pretty good move. And then with pick 158, which is the next pick they have, Chris Paul tackle from Tulsa. So we went offensive line and then offensive line. Now Chris Paul, obviously um, the uh, 
football player, not uh, Chris Paul, uh, the basketball player. Um, I don't really know too much about his game, but I do know that I've seen a lot of draft boards and the Patriots at some point in the draft have been a target for him. Um, I think adding in another tackle into this group is perfect for what they're trying to do as an organization. So I do like, you know, bringing him in and bringing him into the fold. Um, then we go to pick number 170, which is Idaho defensive uh, player Noah Elias. Um, and this is more of a bringing in somebody who is more assurance on defense if someone gets hurt. I don't know if he'll really have a great role with this team, but I think he'll be somebody who could be maybe just kind of a bench piece if needed and I don't really think he'll have too much to uh, to do for their team this year. Then pick number 200, we have Zonovan Knight from North Carolina State. He's a running back. Now I did this move here, uh, picking him at 200 because that's kind of where he is. At, and I felt like at 200 we could go for a running back seeing as James White was hurt for most of the year. Brandon Bolden's gone. J.J. Taylor was a disaster of a running back. And assuming that Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson and James White are not going to stay 100% healthy the whole year, having another running back in there really could help. Granted, it's a sixth-round pick, so I don't know how much you can get out of sixth-round picks, but I felt like, uh, why not go in this direction? Then with pick number 210, I was really sort of uh, unsure of what I wanted to do here because I felt like they could go in a whole host of directions. And I think there's, you know, um, a ton of different positions that they can try and fill here. But I decided to go with Mercer guard Jason Poe. And I felt like with the lack of additions in the offensive line on this offseason, bringing in another guard just to help the team really could be uh, a good move. Now, I don't know exactly what is going to come from that, but I pretty much went with this pick because I felt like he was the best available guard slash tackle slash offensive lineman, and I don't think that's too bad of an issue. So let's... Uh, Move on from there. So that's uh, an updated sort of draft. Um, that is my own sort of picks and what I kind of think they could do. Um, obviously now with the upgraded wide receiver, Devontae Parker coming in. So we'll see where they go from there. Um, I don't know what will happen. Now we're going to be moving on to the Boston Celtics. And I want to look at the Boston Celtics as sort of an over view of what's been going on because they've been going from basically the middle of the pack to what is now the number two seed in the Eastern Conference and I want to talk about sort of where the Celtics have gone from uh, where they started at the season to now. So at the start of the season there was a new head coach, a new general manager, there was a new team surrounding the Celtics they had a lot of different pieces and we didn't really know what we were expecting with this team we didn't know if they were going to be somewhere at the top or at the bottom and when the season started and games kept going on we saw that they were kind of middle of the pack they were like a 500 team they were going to be somewhere in that maybe seven 
8, 9, 10, maybe 11 range. And they were pretty much throughout sort of November, December, January kind of fighting for a playing spot. And nobody thought they would be this good. And nobody thought they were a playoff team that could win even one round. Marcus Smart had issues with his teammates, and nobody really thought Udoka had what it took to be, you know, the right head coach in Boston, and all of the sort of star or close to star players that they had in the past, whether it was Gordon Hayward or Kyrie or Kemba, they were all gone, and it didn't seem like it was working with just Tatum and Brown and sort of this role player group. And then they took, you know, a step in the right direction and they figured out a little bit of what's going on and they figured out how to play together and they brought in Derek White and they brought in uh, Daniel Tice back and they went from, yeah, this team's okay, maybe they'll make the playoffs to this is a team that can make the playoffs to this is a team that's top five in the uh, Eastern Conference to a team that today is probably one of the favorites in the Eastern Conference uh, to make the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think in terms of the uh, you know Celtics now, they've figured out how to play basketball well together. I think you know Yudoka's worked great with this team. I think the combination of Marcus Smart and Derek White has really helped out their team in many ways. And I think... In general, the Celtics are just an overall better team. I think Jason Tatum's been playing great. Jalen Brown's been playing great. And even just looking at the games they've played in, they've been, you know, blowing out their opponents in pretty, you know, great fashion. Looking at, you know, their last stretch of games, uh, they beat Washington by, uh, it was... uh, almost uh, 40 points. Actually, it was 42 points. They beat Indiana by 5. They beat Minnesota by um, over uh, 20 points. They beat Utah by um, 28. They beat Oklahoma City by 9 points. They beat Denver by 20. They beat Sacramento by um, 29. They beat Golden State by... uh, 22, um, and they've just been winning. They did lose to Miami in that stretch, and they did lose in overtime to Toronto, which they could have won either of those games, or at least they could have won the game against Toronto. And the rest of the season has three games left, and they play Chicago, Milwaukee, and Memphis. So those are games that are very winnable. Also, they could go 0-3. The Milwaukee game is the most important because they are one and a half games up on Miami for first place, and they are a half game up on Milwaukee for second place. So I think at this point, first place, second place, third place, I don't think it really matters as much in the first round, obviously. If uh, they are the two seed, that means they get home field against Milwaukee if Milwaukee wins out their series and Boston wins out their series. Um but it's not out of the realm of possibilities that they go 3-0 and and ride in with this win streak and ride into the end of the season with, you know, three wins against three very good teams. 
Miami has, at this point, three games as well, which um, they will have to uh, play uh, before their season ends. And um, unfortunately for Miami, or I guess I should say unfortunately for the Celtics, their sort of end of the season is probably a lot harder of a road to deal with than the end of the season for um, the uh, Miami Heat because if you're looking at who Miami has come the end of the season and sort of the end of, of games for them, you have to go and uh, play Charlotte, Atlanta, and Orlando. So Charlotte obviously could be in the playoffs, but Atlanta and Orlando are clearly not in the playoffs. And if Miami is a game and a half up on Boston by the time the season ends, then they probably won't play a lot of their starters in Orlando. If it's, let's say, a tied sort of uh, going into the last sort of games of the season, if, let's say, Miami loses two games and Boston wins two games, or, you know, there's a situation in which they're a tied record, then obviously they'll uh, have to go uh, and play Orlando with their best players just to get first place. But for the Celtics, it's not in their own possibilities that they get first place and they go 3-0 in their last three games and then ride into the playoffs with this great team. Obviously, Robert Williams is out till the second round, and there's a good chance that even in the second round, they may choose not to even put him out there on the playing uh, court because they don't want to cause major injuries in the future but if they are in need of his assistance and it is the uh, second round and he's healthy and they say he can play if uh, they need him then it could get to that point where they do um, go out there and bring him and bring him back uh, but uh, that has been a tough hole in the center that Al Horford and Daniel Tice have been uh, able to um, take care of, at least for the time being. So, uh, you know, they look like a great team. Jason Tatum's been great. Jalen Brown's been great. And I guess, according to sources, Robert Williams' surgery is one of the best-case scenarios they can have um, in this. Marcus Smart is on the short list hopefully, uh, Defensive Player of the Year, because uh, he's been just so great on defense and has been doing so much um, just in general for this team. And so, uh, you know, they're a team that could probably make it far in the playoffs. And, I mean, if you look at the Eastern Conference, they could beat anyone and they could get to the finals. I think this is a very easy, gettable situation. Whereas if you look at the Western Conference... You have Phoenix, who's just by far and away killing everyone. And it looks like, unless something goes wrong, they're going to be the uh, Western Conference champions, which they were last year. And they got the best record in basketball, and they uh, are a very, very good team. And just looking at the end of the road for their team and who's... Um, left on their uh, sheet uh, they play LA twice the Lakers and the Clippers they play Utah and Sacramento so 
I don't know if they're really going to be going all out in any of these games, even though prior to um, their loss to Memphis at the beginning of this month, they went on a uh, nine-game win streak. And, yeah, they've had some great win streaks in this season as well. Um, they had a eight-game win streak a little prior to that, and then they had a big... Um, 10-11 game win streak prior to that in sort of mid-January um, and then they had uh, a big big win streak um, going 11-12, uh, 13-14, 15-16, 18 wins in a row in October, end of October to uh, beginning of December where they didn't lose one game in the whole month of November which is uh Interesting. I don't know if there's ever been a team that has gone with all wins in one month, but I'm sure uh, that is something that has happened before. But Phoenix looks good, and so they'll be a challenging foe in the playoffs. But at least for the Celtics, it looks like they can match up with pretty much anyone when it comes to the NBA and basketball and what their plan is for the future. So. Um, I expect them to ride into the playoffs as the one, two, or three seed. And then when it's all said and done, probably can make the Eastern Conference Finals and I think can do a lot on in the NBA Finals if they get there. And it would be cool to see a Celtics uh, championship, even though that's very uh, far into the future. Um, I don't know if they'll get there, but if they do, that'll be a great situation for them. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with the Celtics, and we'll see what happens moving forward. 